You're listening to the Piston Podcast, the motoring podcast for the motoring enthusiasts, presented by me, Daniel Axerhouse. Listen whilst folding washing, doing your day-to-day commute, or even whilst you're faffing around trying to change your exhaust. Whatever you're doing, I promise to make your day a little less boring, with some fun and interesting motor talk. Anyway, engage launch control, it's time for the Piston Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 4 of the Piston Podcast recorded today, or not today if you're listening in the future, on the 26th of April 2020 during the global coronavirus pandemic. Um, I'm recording this from my home studio, if you can call it that. Again, it's just me sitting in my desk, um, not in it, but you know, but aside it because if I was in my desk it'd be a bit weird. Um, and I've got my laptop in front of me, I've got a microphone in front of me, iPad to my left and sheet of paper, simple as that, and all of a sudden I'm allowed, for some reason, on iTunes and on Spotify, on uh, Podchaser, I don't know, I don't even know where my own podcast is at the moment, it's pretty much everywhere, um, which is fantastic. Um, I'd just like to thank everybody that's been listening to the podcast, episode 1, 2 and 3, um, and for people that have been tweeting me, at DanielCarzo5, bit of a plug there, and on Instagram, same username, um, thank you for um, the nice words, and thank you for listening. Um, I've been having a look at the uh, stats um, and uh, for the past few episodes, like downloads and stuff like that, and I'm pretty over the moon with it. I'm really quite happy with how it's doing, so thank you very much. Um, but anyway, we're going to go on with the podcast, because this week, episode four, we are reviewing, as the Piston Podcast Pick of the Week, the 2002 Lotus Esprit V8, and I'm reviewing this because... It's cool. It's a super, super cool car. It's probably my favourite mid-engine car ever made, probably. Um, I don't know why, because it's known to be one of the most unreliable cars ever made, uh, which is not surprising because it's made in Britain. Um, But, oh well, it's a cool car, so if it explodes, who cares? Because James Bond drove one, so there's your answer. Um, We've got some piston discussion, including a new book that I've bought, and an update on my Tamiya model, my Volkswagen T2 campervan. Um, I'm going to give you an update on that. Um, Just, I'll give you a bit of a clue now. It's, I've done too much work on it. Yesterday, I spent seven hours working on it. But we'll talk about that a bit more later on. Uh, We've got the top ten list. This week, I'm doing a top ten list of supercars. And, of course, we've got My Way or Highway, um, which is the Great Ocean Road in Australia. Um, and aside from all of that, written on my paper, just random car chat, car news, what I can see out of my window, which at the moment is a Ford Transit. But um, yes, a lot of things in this podcast, so don't go anywhere. Keep listening, even if you speed up my voice, which I know you can do on certain platforms, makes me sound like some sort of squirrel, then um, yeah, keep listening because it's going to be undoubtedly a very interesting podcast. Let's kick off with some car news, some car news to get our brains working and um, thinking about whether it's right or wrong. And um, let's just let's just learn something new, I suppose. So um, it says here, first of all, California has seen a whopping increase on tickets for people going over 100 miles per hour. Um, and it says here, one culprit was clocked doing a ridiculous 165 miles per hour. Yeah, the thing that confuses me about this is how you can even manage to go 165 miles per hour. Even if you're in a Veyron, your car can probably do it. But I know me personally, or any other drivers I know, which is pretty much everybody, would be probably a bit too scared to go 165 miles per hour on the road. Even on a track, it's just it's ridiculously fast. Um, and I've driven 100 miles per hour in a Lamborghini, and that was scary enough. So 165 miles per hour on a public road... 
That's just a bit silly. We're going to move on from that. Uh, Jeremy Clarkson says that they'll be finished with the Grand Tour Madagascar episode in two weeks minimum slash maximum. Don't really know, he said. He said this in a Drive Tribe live video with the with the Grand Tour executive producer, Andy Willman. Um, and basically because of coronavirus, it's been delayed quite a lot because Andy Willman actually got the virus, which is quite sad, but he is better now, which means that the Madagascar special will be out very shortly, um, which will give you all something to watch, um, which is very good. You can also listen to some of the previous episodes of this podcast if you're really, really bored, because they're quite good. It says here, um, here is the entry-level Volkswagen Golf, and um, it apparently starts at just below €20,000, um, and I'm not going to transfer that to pounds because I'm terrible at maths. But that's not a terrible price, I suppose, because it is a Golf, and a Golf is a sensible car. Not a very interesting one, but it's a sensible car. Bentley wants its digital instrument clusters to age well, they said. And they said it'll have to stay great in the next 20 years. That's what they're thinking whenever they uh, design a new instrument panel, um, not panel, cluster. Um, they want them to age well. So there we go. Bentleys are just magnificent. I went to Bentley, I think two years ago now, went to the showroom in Crewe. Um, and it's just it's a fantastic place. Service is amazing. Um, I wasn't buying one. But I went there to do some journalism work on Drive Tribe. Um, right, it says here some sports cars might be limited production due to environmental regulations. Um, and this is something we're hearing quite a lot at the moment, uh, past few years actually. Um, like, what was it? I think a lot of cars are going turbocharged. Ford Focus RS has been axed, which is sad news and it kind of isn't at the same time. I'm sure it handles great, but I just think it's not exciting enough. So, yeah. Uh, this Ultimate Barn Find has 300 cars. There's a picture here. It's got a Countach. It's got a Corvette, along with a load of other cool cars. And just imagine opening that. You're putting up the doors, and you just think it's going to be an old antique sofa and, I don't know, some old stuff, like an old tea towel or something. And you find 300 old cars. That would be quite incredible. And um, that's like that's like my dream, that is. But, yeah. Um, Toyota is set to bin its mass-produced V8 engines, which, again, is sad, but it has to happen because they're too polluting. Um, and obviously electric cars are all coming along. Toyota are going really sensible. Um, they've got the Supra and the GR Yaris and whatever, Garimina. But they're going really sensible, which is understandable because it's this is the future. And, yeah. The, um, can I pronounce this, the Pininfarina, there we go, Pura Vision, will be a 1,000-horsepower, one, I nearly said 100, but no, a 1,000-horsepower all-electric SUV. A new report claims that the SUV will split the design difference between the Lamborghini Urus and the Porsche Panamera Sport Turismo, or in other words, the Panorama Estate, because that's what Sport Turism, Turismo means. Just Porsche trying to be complicated. Ford is trialling social distancing wristbands to keep workers separated. Don't know how it's going to work, but apparently they use Bluetooth technology to ensure its workers adhere to social distancing measures when production resumes. It's interesting. Don't know how it's going to work, because it's just, I don't know. I don't get it. The range-topping Zora Edition Corvette um, has been leaked with 1,000 brake horsepower. A lot of cars at the moment have 1,000 horsepower, and if you go back in time to like the early 2000s when the Veyron came out, that had 1,001 horsepower, I believe, um, and people are like, 
amazed by it. And whereas people are still impressed by 1,000 horsepower, it's becoming quite regular. And that's thanks to modern engines and stuff like that. This is quite sad news. It says here, is the future of the Renault Megane under threat? Now, that question is there because obviously Renault are going to um, electric cars along with hybrids and they're building more SUVs. And the same question was um, sort of asked with the Scenic. We've got a Renault Scenic on our drive just outside my window now. It's a brown one. It's quite nice. I hate to say it. It's really nice. Nice road to drive. Nice road to drive, nice car to drive. Um, but yeah, it's quite sad news because the Scenic and the Megane, they're sort of quite legendary, even though they're quite boring. Um, and they're just just—they're quite special to Renault. But obviously they're going to do the Capture and the Kajar and all of them. Ordinary cars. So I don't know whether it's under threat. People don't want them. And also they're petrol and diesel models. So I don't know. I think there's going to be a plug-in hybrid Megane. But I think hybrids are a bit pointless. Because it was announced a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I think now, that I think it was by 2035, I think it was, don't quote me, um, the sale of brand new hybrid and petrol and diesel cars are going to be banned. So for that reason, I think they're quite pointless because it's sort of solving half of the issue. So you may as well solve the whole lot and just buy an electric car. Just makes sense. Um, I don't know why I'm sort of bigging up electric cars on a piston podcast. But, I don't know, it was something I was thinking about when naming this podcast. In in the future, am I going to regret calling it the Piston Podcast? And the answer is no, really, because when you think of a piston, you don't necessarily think of an engine, you think of a car. Um, so, it works. So, oh well. It's the same with, say, Top Gear. In the years to come, there's not going to be any gears in electric cars, are there? So, it doesn't work. So, there we go. Don't come at me. The Hennessy Venom F5 will debut this summer, um, and that's, well, I don't know if that'll go ahead, but apparently it will, um, and it's the successor to the Venom GT, um, which is just it's crazy. It's too fast, way too fast. It's just undrivable, because um, I've driven one on Forza. Yes, I know, so experienced. This ludicrous 70s-inspired camper van is worth over £100,000. I've got a picture here. It looks absolutely crazy. Don't know, I don't know what it's called, but I'm just just take my word for it. It's ridiculous. Uh, what else is here? Let's have a look. Porsche has auctioned off the last 991 Speedster, which is just a very nice car, but it's, it's never going to be like the original Speedster, is it? And it raises £550,000 for charity, which is a lovely thing, and it's a lot of money. But I think it's a bit pointless. Um, obviously, it's going to charity, so I'm not complaining about that. But I think the Speedster was massively overpriced seen as it's basically just a 911 with a few design tweaks. And it's not even the latest 911 model, it's the 991, and obviously the new one is the 992. So I don't get it, it's a bit confusing, but oh well. Uh, let's move on from car news, um, let's switch the iPad off, there we go, because I would like to talk about my Tamiya model, which I mentioned last week on the podcast, in episode 3, when I reviewed, oh, what did I review, Porsche Taycan, there we go. Um, I bought an RC electric car of my own, electric car, I know, they're cool, Tamiya models are known to be the most exciting EVs in the 1980s, but yeah, I bought a VW Campervan RC model last Sunday, I think it was, and it arrived last Friday, this is all going to be irrelevant to you if you're listening in the future, but oh well, um, so we ordered it on the Sunday and it arrived on the Friday, there we go, it's easier for you to understand, but I got building on it Friday evening a little bit and I got the differential and the gear casing done and then Saturday morning I sort of saw it and I just carried on building it 
and I think I did four hours, and then I did three hours, so I did about seven or eight hours yesterday on the Saturday, um, and it's <laughs> I've done a lot. Like front and rear axles are done, the motor's in its position. Um, so all I've got to do is the front shocks, well they're more like dampers, and I don't know, they're not very good, but they're just standard Tamiya ones. And then I've got to do the electrics, and I've got to do the tyres and the wheels, and then I've got a few other bits and bobs to do, and then the chassis itself is done. And half of me regrets doing it so quickly, but half of me doesn't, because it's just so addictive and it's so difficult to say, right, that's it for now, and to close the instruction manual. But yeah, it, I'm really happy with it, so I don't know. By next week, I reckon the chassis will probably be done. Um, that's if I carry on at the pace I'm going now. The body won't be done because we're trying to get hold of some white Tamiya paint um, for the model. Um, it's pretty impossible to get hold of at the moment, but oh well. And um, yeah, we need some other bits and bobs like batteries because the batteries we have are ancient and they're just drained and they just don't hold any charge whatsoever. So they're useless. We need to order some of them. But I reckon the chassis will be done within the next few days. So that's exciting. Um, it's nice. Johnny Smith of Fifth Gear, you probably all know him, um, known as Car Pervert, is doing something called Model Citizens. Um, and it's basically when people on Twitter and Instagram post anything model related, whether it's RC or not, and they use the hashtag Model Citizen. And um, basically, it's just a big hashtag to get all modelers together to show their creations and it's quite nice actually it's just a load of geeks showing off what they've built and what they're building and it's it's quite fun it's nice and Volkswagen actually replied to my tweet um, which was quite fun when I was talking about the model and they say oh their friends over at Volkswagen vans would be interested in this so yeah that's uh, that's exciting um, so yeah moving on from the model I want to talk about my new book if I turn around and just get it quickly I've got it here um, it's called And On That Bombshell, Inside the Madness and Genius of Top Gear, and it's by Richard Porter, um, also known as Sniff Petrol. Um, you probably all know him. And um, he was the uh, script editor for 13 years, 22 series, and 175 shows. Um, and it, it's basically from A to Z. Can you hear the... Through the microphone, I don't know if you can, but oh well. I've read um, two chapters last night. I can't remember what it was called. It was sort of like old Top Gear, and then it was introduction and stuff like that. So it, from what I've read so far, it's a very interesting book. And what I like is it's got pictures from behind the scenes of the specials and all of that. So it's it's quite an interesting book, actually. So if you're looking for a book, um, then go on Amazon or whatever and search for And On That Bombshell by Richard Porter. Um, because it's very good, and I'm sure every week I'm going to come back with a new fact about Top Gear or something like that. So I do apologise if I ramble on. Anyway, I am rambling on now, so it's time to get on with the actual script, because I think we're going to change it up. Normally we do the car review, then the top ten list, and then my way or highway. But I'm going to do it the opposite way around, I think. So I'm going to kick off now. Well, not kicking off, but I'm going to carry on kicking off. There we go. With my way or highway, and this week it's the Great Ocean Road, located in Australia. So it's 150 miles long, and it stretches over Australia's coastline. Australia's known for its stunning coastlines. It's very, very nice. It was completed in 1932, and it was built by Aussie soldiers. And it was built as a tribute to the region's World War I servicemen and women. Um, and it was added recently uh, to Australia's National Heritage List, um, which is very nice. It's not just a road. It's a tribute to World War I servicemen and women. 
it's, it's quite nice. Um, it, it consists of waterfalls and cliffs and rocks and the sea. It's just a very nice road. Search up the Great Ocean Road in Australia. It's very pretty. As with every road that gets um, included into this segment, My Way or Highway. Right, Piston Podcast Pick of the Week. As I said at the start, this week, in this episode, it's the Lotus Esprit V8 2002. I had to be so specific because there was quite a few Esprits. I think there was, I don't know, it was in the teens. So I've picked that one specifically so the facts are quite accurate and people can't grill me on social media. So, you can get one now priced around £18,000 Plus, it can go up massively to like 40000 or whatever. Last year, when I went to the Anglesey Steam Rally, which is my favourite steam rally, I think. It's just so great. Um, went along with my vintage bicycle. Um, but yeah, going back to the point. There was one there for sale, and I think it was about £18,500. And it was a silver Esprit. And I think it was a sporty one. I can't remember the, the exact name. But I just remember being obsessed with it and going there every single day, like all three days of the steam rally, just to... I up the Esprit. I don't know, weird like that. Anyway, the um, V8 comes with a V8 engine, obviously, a 3.5 litre turbocharged V8 engine to be precise. And it's located in the middle of the car. Well, not exactly. One thing I don't get is with, with, with um, mid engine cars, it's not actually in the middle. Like they're sort of off a bit because obviously they can't just place it on the driver's head. So why can't they call them like, um, I don't know, 33% into the car? engine i don't know it's just a little thing of mine it's rear wheel drive obviously because it's just it just makes it more fun and the engine produces 345 brake horsepower it comes with a five speed manual gearbox which is quite surprising because you would have thought a car like that would have had a six speed but no it has a five speed um i believe actually a lot of the parts from the esprit are actually from different cars like rovers and not very interesting cars like that Torque, well, torque has 290 newton meters of it, which is quite a bit. Obviously, you're not going to be pulling caravans with it, are you, I suppose? Um, MPG, not very impressive, but I don't know, for a retro supercar, 16 MPG, not bad, but you don't buy a car like that for MPG. You're not going to work, are you really? 0-60 for that variant model is 4.4 seconds, and it maxes out at 179 miles per hour, which is quite bonkers, considering it's a fairly lightweight Lotus, um, and if you want to know exactly how it weighs, I can tell you, because I'm a bit of a boffin when it comes to this, um, it weighs 1,380 kilos, so yeah, not that bad. Uh, CO2 emissions, it, it puffs out uh, 318 grams per kilometre, it's got two seats, two doors, and I've actually got some track times for you, something I've never done on the podcast before, but the Lotus Esprit V8 2002 went around the Top Gear test track, Many, many, many years ago, in 1 minute, 32 seconds, 50. Uh, or 5 oh. There we go, it's better. Went round Silverstone in 1 minute, 11, 6. There we go, very good reading out lap times then. Pros and cons. Pros, it's cool. Uh, it's British engineering. And I've got here, James May drove one um, down through Argentina and Chile and... It proved better than Jeremy's Porsche 928, which didn't fare too well, um, and Richard Hammond's Ford Mustang. And it was quite surprising, to be honest, because it didn't really let James down, and he just sort of carried on. The car carried on. Bit unusual. Nobody was expecting that, but it was sort of the star of the show. Cons. It's fairly unreliable, but other than that, there is no more cons, because it's a Lotus Esprit, and James Bond drove one. There we go. I'll say it again. That just finishes off the review. 
So there we go, Lotus Esprit. I'm going to give it a 5 out of 5 straight away. No hesitation. It's just such a cool car. Um, and me personally, I'm a fan of the later Esprits. I think the first ones, I don't know, they don't, they don't do it massively for me. But I don't know, I just prefer the later ones. I think they look a bit more cool and a bit more styled. And obviously they've got the big rear wing at the back. And yeah, they're very nice. Anyway, time for the top 10 list. And this week I'm doing a top 10 list of supercars. Kicking off at number 10 is the BMW M1, which is, I believe, a concept. But I don't know how it's made onto the list, unless BMW have announced it as a car, which would be quite interesting. At number 9 is the Aston Martin Valhalla. At number 8, I saw this at Goodwood, actually, the Ferrari SF90 Stradale. It looks very nice, very pretty car, as with all Ferraris at the moment. At number 7 is the Aston Martin Vanquish. Again, a stunning car, especially in baby blue. I just really like it. At number 6, another great car. It's the Noble M600, and I suppose this is the link to the Lotus Esprit because they're both made in Britain land. At number 5 is the Lamborghini Aventador SVJ, which, I don't know, I'm not a big fan of, actually. Um... I've never been a massive Aventador fan. Used to like them when I'm younger, but when I was younger, but I'm not a big fan now. I'd, I'd prefer the Huracan, to be honest. Um, and I think the SVJ looks a bit strange. I don't know. I, I really don't. I'm sure they drive nice, but they just don't do it for me. And number four is the Ford GT. And number three is the Lamborghini Huracan Evo, which is just better. Um, and I saw that at Goodwood as well. And it looks very nice, actually. It looks really, really nice. And it's sort of like a facelift Huracan. So it sort of keeps it up to date with the latest supercars. And number two is the Ferrari F8 Tributo, which I also saw at Goodwood. Very nice car again. And number one is, inevitably, the McLaren 720S. And, yeah, it's weird. The McLaren 720S, I've never been in one. And I've, I've, I haven't seen many. I saw a few at Goodwood and I saw a few at Carfest. Um, but I've never seen many. But... They're quite incredible to me, from what I've heard and from what I've seen on YouTube or on TV or whatever, because they keep up so well with a with much faster cars. I think McLaren did so well, but it's just a shame it's it's quite unreliable. Um, as with quite a lot of McLarens, at first when they leave the factory, they're sort of never really perfect, um, which is unusual because you pay a lot of money. But people sort of say some of them. Um, not people that don't go just buy a brand new car for the sake of it. They say, buy a McLaren that's had a few thousand miles on it um, and is, I don't know, a year old, if not six months old, because huh, by then, the previous owner would have sorted out most of the issues from the factory. But, I don't know, from hearing that, I don't think I'd go for one at all, because you don't want to spend hundreds of thousands of pounds on a car, um, a McLaren, something that special, for it to just break down. Because I've seen videos on YouTube of something quite, I don't know, quite severe happening with uh, 720Ss. So, I don't know. I think, for the price they are, I think it's quite a gamble. Um, and it's it's sort of been the same with McLarens. I love them. I really, really like McLarens. But, I don't know, I think it's quite risky to own one. But, I don't know. I'm not going to say too much because I don't have a McLaren, so I can't judge them. And I don't think I ever will. Depends how good my podcasting and journalism career goes. Um, which at the moment obviously isn't going so well because we've got a Toyota and a Renault and a Fiat on the drive. Um, so yeah, there is the top 10 list of supercars, the McLaren 720S being the king of that list. Um, thanks to Autocar for that list, um, autocar.com, full of just, oh, it's just full of really car-obsessed material, um, like the top 10 lists, so you can get them all there. 
um, and I've been using them for, I use them on the radio and I use them on this podcast. So they've been really, really quite useful. So, right, everything on the list I think I've talked about. So I'm going to turn my head and I'm going to look out the window because I've got some conversation and it's sort of a bit of a mystery. And now, in the village I live in, I'm not going to announce it because that's just a bit weird. I'm going to get I don't know, a load of fans at the door and whatever. But <laughs> but there's a Ford Mondeo ST, uh, supposedly, across the road. And it's a blue estate, and it's a 2007 reg. It's an 07 reg. Although I'm not sure it's an ST. Now, I don't know much about the Mondeo ST. They're very nice. But across the road, that says it's the Mondeo ST 200, which is 200 horsepower, obviously. But I'm not actually quite sure if it is actually a true ST or maybe the owner put the badge on just because it looks cool. You know, like people do with BMW cars when they're not an M car, they just put an M badge on it. Or like an Audi, they put an RS or an S badge on it when it's not an S or an RS. Really bugs me, but oh well. Um, And people that get a Fiat Pan 100 horsepower and put a Bath badge on it. Like I haven't done that because half of me thinks it's quite cool. But half of me thinks that's completely bonkers and it's just illegal. Punishable by anything. But yeah, um, the thing is, the thing that puts me off slightly, it looks kind of like an ST, but it sounds like a transit. And I don't know, if if any Mondeo experts could tweet me on this, Daniel Carzo 5, um, and sort of educate me a bit. The Mondeo ST, right, he starts it up um, across the road, and it sounds like a transit. And I don't think it's meant to sound like a transit, to be honest, seeing as it's a Mondeo ST. And it just... I don't know. I really don't know. I I don't really know much about it, so I can't say too much. But I I have a bit of a theory. It's not a real ST. And maybe it's just an ST badge that's been put on it by the owner now, or the previous owner a few years back. But yeah, there's my little uh, question for you all, um, because I'm about to go soon. I'm about to go downstairs and have some lunch on my Sunday afternoon. And I need to finish off my model, actually. Not finish off, but carry on. I never know. I might finish it off. Probably not, because I need to take my time a bit more. But, yeah, there we go. Across the road as well, there's a Mercedes, what is it? I don't know, CLA something or other. And it's got an AMG badge on it. And I know, as their neighbour, right, it's not an AMG. Because when they bought it, it didn't have the AMG badge on it. And, obviously, it's a diesel. It's quite a sluggish diesel. And it doesn't look like an AMG at all, even though it's got fake exhaust tips and all of that. But they put an AMG badge on it. And my friend Matthew, who will be coming on the podcast soon, hopefully in a few weeks, um, even if it's over Zoom or something, I don't know, WhatsApp, but hopefully he'll be coming on. He noticed it and pointed it out to me, and since then I haven't I haven't not noticed it. It's quite annoying. But yeah, it's sort of like a new segment that's wriggling its way through into the podcast, just making fun of my neighbours for doing stuff wrong, car-related. And I've got another story. Just yesterday there's a massive truck pulled up outside. Somebody broke down in their Vauxhall Corsa quite sad but yeah it's a Corsa so it serves them right it's weird I think most Vauxhall Corsa drivers I don't know they, I don't know if this is stereotypical but they're quite chavvy um, and this is something this is from somebody with a Fiat Panda but yeah it's it's the obvious choice isn't it for a teenager 17 year old it's just a Corsa but I know Vauxhall are doing some really good deals I don't know if they are at the moment but they used to I know that for sure um, with incorporating tax costs and stuff like that into the price per month, um, leasing, whatever. But, yeah, it's quite interesting as well. A lot of teenagers are now leasing cars like courses and stuff like that. And it's 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 quite interesting because leasing cars, there's half the argument that says it's pointless and 
why would you do it? But then there's half of the argument that says, actually, that's quite clever, because it means you can get a safe car for a young person, and they can pay for it. And um, for an older person, not an older person, but, you know, more grown-up person, they can get the BMW of their dreams or whatever, and they can afford it as well. So, yeah, it's good and bad for many, many reasons. Again, tweet me your opinion, at DanielCars05, or if you have an opinion on the Lotus Esprit that I reviewed today, then let me know, because I'm interested, and, yeah, please tweet me. Um, Also, if you have any Tamiya RC models, then get in touch as well, because I'd love to see them. As well, use the hashtag ModelCitizen, because I'm just loving to see all the tweets. It's very nice to see all of the grasshoppers, not the actual bugs, but, you know, um, and the Wild Willy, all that type, the, uh, you know, Jeep um, model. Very strange names. And the um, Monster beetle and stuff like that. I would love to see all of them, all of the different types of Tamiya models, even if they're not RC and they're static ones. I've built static ones. I've got a Unis, Unos Roadster here. Um, and talking of Unos Roadsters, a few days ago, it's quite a sad day because it marked 10 years since we sold our Mark 1 MX-5. And I've got a picture up there. It was the green one and it was mint. Completely mint. But I can tell you a story before I finish it off. I know I'm rambling again, but I'll tell you a story anyway quite quickly um, because it doesn't take too long. Basically we lived in France at the time when we went to get the MX-5 and my mum went to get it from a bloke that brought it down from England across the ferry and my mum got it from Calais or Dunkirk or something, I don't know, and then uh, drove it down, I think it was something like that, I might be getting the story completely wrong, but oh well it's something like this, and then we brought it all the way down to our house in the south of France um, and then we found out that the French did not want to tax it, and this was because it was a Jap Japanese import, um, and the French were quite dodgy about Japanese import cars. And um, so after months of rooftop, roof-down driving and fun and smiles, then we, well, we had to sell it, which was sad, but it had to happen. Um, and yeah, we never saw it again. And that was ten years ago, and it was quite a short... Um, quite a short ownership, but I don't know, it was nice while it lasted. I remember sitting in the interior of the car, just constantly pressing the button for the headlights to go up and down. But anyway, that's it from me for this week. I'll be back with episode 5 next week on iTunes, on Spotify, and on every slash most podcast provider. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. It means a lot. Um, Next week, I don't know what I'll be doing. Hopefully I'll remember to record it on the right day because the plan is with this podcast is to record it on the Saturday and then release it on the Sunday, 12am. But that didn't happen. Completely forgot, got carried away with my model. So I'm recording it and releasing it on the same day. I know it's very technical. So yeah, see you next week. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. You're listening to the Piston Podcast, the motoring podcast for the motoring enthusiast, presented by me, Daniel Axerhouse. Listen whilst folding washing, doing your day-to-day commute, or even whilst you're faffing around trying to change your exhaust. Whatever you're doing, I promise to make your day a little less boring, with some fun and interesting motor talk. Anyway, engage launch control, it's time for the Piston Podcast.